discipleship time. We're just going to be in a teaching, learning type environment in here. And the uh, best way to do this is get our textbook out, which is what? Some of you here last week, as well as we're in a church, so you're like, that's an easy guess. So if you have a Bible, get it out. You can go to Acts chapter 6. And, all right, if you still have any digits left on your fingers, you can also go to Exodus 18. All right, we're going to be between both. I'm teaching two passages at the same time. I know it's like a magic trick, okay? Uh, you're going to be blown away. Or not, and it's going to be okay. Exodus chapter 18, Acts chapter 6. What in the world do these have to do with one another? Well, let me start you off by getting your mind on the right thing. How many of you in this house grew or in this house, in this building, the Lord's house, I guess if you want to call it, uh, grew up with a measuring wall, or you have one in your house right now. Anybody? Okay. Um, how, parents, when your kids get measured, you go and measure them. They have that excited feeling if they grew about two inches since the last time you did it. How many of you have experienced this thing that your kids do where they want to be back at it a week later? Anybody? They're like, measure me again. It's like, it's been 24 hours. It's not that big of a difference. If anything, because your hair is matted down, you're shorter. Okay, yes, we all have had these growth walls, and they're really exciting, right? Growing up, seeing how much you've grown, it's super fun. But what do we all know about growth? Is it fast or is it slow? It is painstakingly slow sometimes, right? It's something that takes time. Now, if you're a parent, all right, and you're raising children, you see them every single day. So sometimes it's actually hard to see the growth in their life, am I right? But the holidays are coming up, and so family's coming in town, and they're showing up, and kids, or high school kids, all right, who are in the room right now, when the family or the friends come in, they're like, oh my gosh, you've grown so much, right? <laughs> and it's always a woman doing that, because men are like, you look good, kid, you know? Um, but they're like, oh my, you're so big now, you're going to be as tall as your mom, right? And so when you haven't seen somebody for a while, the growth is more obvious, is it Right? It's this exact same thing in our faith. Uh, the growth that we measure as the church is not a growth that is a physical growth, okay? We're not getting out, uh, oops, sorry, new speaker for testing this out. Let me scoot back. We're not getting out measuring sticks and going, all right, you used to be 72 inches and now you're 73. Good work. Keep reading your Bible. We'll see you next week. We don't do that, okay? The growth that we are looking to see is not even just butts in seats, though that is an indicator of something, the growth that we really want to see is the growth that happens in here. Am I right? Anybody in here ever make a disciple and realize that measuring the growth that happens in here is really hard to do? You understand that? It's so difficult. I think C.S. Lewis has a great quote to help all of us in this room understand growth in Jesus. What he said was, day by day, it's as if nothing changed, but looking back, nothing's the same. Can anybody testify who's been following Jesus? Day by day, it's as if nothing changed. But looking back, nothing is the same. This morning, I gathered with a group of guys, and we're, doing, we're studying, we're writing papers, we're memorizing scripture, we're doing a lot of discipleship work together. And one of the things that uh, one of the guys said, which I thought was great, is when he was looking at some of the questions that we were forcing ourselves through, he goes, man, a few years ago, I would have answered this question completely different. It was a moment that he saw Man, Jesus has grown me, and that is awesome, okay? Does everybody in the room want to see that? Okay, everybody does, okay? We want to see growth. But the thing we're going to look at today is what happens when our growth wall hits a wall? 
What happens when our growing begins to cause other problems? Okay? You don't know what I mean by that? I'm going to show you in Acts chapter 6 and uh, in Exodus 18. There are times, guys, when growth numerically, when there's more of you in the room, that it creates more problems for all of us, right? There's going to be a certain time when we don't have enough chairs for everyone and we have to do two services, which creates another problem. We're going to need more volunteers to serve in the kids' ministry. We're going to have to do two services. We're going to send, not bring the kids in. Send them, they're going to be out before they even get in here so we can create 70 more chairs for people to sit. You see what's going on? When there's growth that happens, it results in needed changes. And so after biblical preaching and prayer, I think that structure in the church is a top priority. And I'm going to show you why biblically I think that is true today. So first thing, we're going, to, we're going to look at three points, like I do every week, to help you out. Okay, teaching tip right there. But I want to show you how understanding our limits, sharing the load, and staying dependent on God is going to be huge for us to multiply the mission of making disciples. Okay, what are they again? Understand your limits, share the load, stay dependent. This morning we're talking about structure. So let's go to Acts chapter 6. You're going to be at verse 1, okay? You be there, but I'm about to read Acts chapter 2, verse 41. We went over this a few weeks ago. It says this. So those who received his word were baptized. So talking about Peter's word when he was teaching in front of thousands of people. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls to the church. A third of Cody joined in one sermon, big day, would you guys go, wow, what an, oh, you don't have to, that's not what I meant, but that's great, all right, I love it, we struggle with participation in this church, man, I ask for it, you don't say anything, I don't ask for it, you all shout at me, it's great, no, I love it, but it's, it's like a wow moment, it's like, whoa, this is great, the preaching of the word, 3,000 souls, and if you keep reading it, you'll see that Peter goes to teach again, and 2,000 people come in, so what's 3,000 plus 2,000? Hey, participation, 5,000. Now, I want you to imagine for just a second. Can you imagine being responsible for teaching and discipling 5,000 people? Yeah, proper response, okay? I I'll let you guys know right now. This might blow your mind. I'm going to surprise a couple of you. Uh, my limit is way before 5,000. <laughs> it comes way before 5,000. I do not have the ability to care for that many people. Do you? No. Let me ask you, how are you doing at caring for and discipling and meeting the needs of those that God has already entrusted to you? How are you doing? Last week, we took an index card. We wrote down names of the people that we're trying to disciple or the people who are discipling us. How are you doing at meeting the, names, uh, meeting the needs of the names on that list? Okay. Maybe not so good. Anybody want to admit it? No? Okay, a few hands. Okay, I do. Great. Yeah, like I have three children, and I'm maxed with just those three, all right? It, it is a tough business. Are you available for every phone call? Are you able to show up at every single need? Can you get coffee with every person who needs you? Can you meet with every person who's far from Jesus in this town? The answer is a big, fat what? No. No. You cannot do it. This past week, 
I wrote a message. I had about 12 hours of meetings. I responded to about 25 emails, communicated with 50 some odd people. I wrote 12 thank you cards. I resolved multiple conflicts, prepared for an event, spent time with my wife and kids, kept up with distant family and friends, connected with past, other pastors for future ministry, did discipleship this morning. And I still missed hundreds of opportunities that were all around me. So the question is, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, exactly. And we're going to say that. That's point three. Well done. Okay. All right. Pray. But also get up and teach a message convicting people to do something, right? Okay. So here, here's the thing. Uh, what should I do? It's a question that every one of you should ask. If you're really trying to make disciples, I promise, this is a question you're already asking. What do I do? I can't, I can't be there. I can't answer that call. Like, you know, you see it. It rings sometimes and I look at it. I'm like, oh God, I want to, but I can't. Right? What do we do? Okay, well, let's look at Acts chapter 6, 1 through 2. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, right, so they're at 5,000, and then it's not stopping. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 apostles, Jesus' disciples, uh, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. All right, let's pause. So here's the dilemma of fruitful ministry. You guys want to know? The dilemma of fruitful ministry is it always leads to full ministry plates. If you want to do this well, it will only make you busier. It will only cause more opportunities to come across your lap. That is the result of good ministry. Great deal, right? So if you don't want more people calling on you, just be as terrible at ministry as you possibly can. <laughs> Nobody will call you. But here's the thing. Uh, it's, it's what we call good problems, right? Oh, it's a good problem to have. Oh, people are coming. That's great. Good problem. You've got to get, buy new chairs. Oh, that's a good problem. Whatever. But here's what I've found in ministry. Good problems are still just problems, right? They're things that we still need to solve. So what's happening right here? Well, what's happening is the Greek-speaking Jewish widows were being neglected in a daily distribution, right? Great ministry is going to have its complaints. Somebody's going to get missed, and these ladies are getting missed. Now, whether it's an oversight, whether it's uh, a social, social injustice, it doesn't really matter uh, for today, okay? What the point is, is that the larger that the group got, the greater the problems that they had, okay? You get that? The larger the group, the greater the problems. So what should they do? The question is, should they stop preaching the word of God? Should they stop the ministry of prayer? What do you think? It says no, okay? So how are they going to fix this is the question. But before we get to that, let's look at an Old Testament. So now flip over to Exodus 18, verse 13. If you don't have it in your Bible, it's going to be on the screen. Let me encourage you. If this is a regular place where you attend, I want to encourage you. I mean, get a Bible. Bring it. They're so cheap. You can get them at Walmart. I'll buy you one. But it is so good for you to have the text in your lap. Okay, you develop a relationship with the Bible that you get to hold in your hand. It's an amazing thing. Ask me about what I mean by that later. All right, a Exodus 18, 13 through 17. So this is what it says. This is an Old Testament example, and it is almost identical. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. You guys have heard of Moses? You've heard of the people of Israel. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? 
And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. A great ministry. Fantastic. Nobody's arguing with it. Great. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. Okay, I want you to imagine this scene for a moment. All right, instead of 12 apostles, we have one Moses, all right? And he's leading a group of, listen, almost a million people in the desert. Do you imagine there's complaining? I grew up in a family where we had no air conditioning in the car. We fought like wild savages in that car because you get hot, right? You freak out and don't touch me, right? They're in the desert. So can you imagine the amount of discipleship that is happening there that needs to happen with these people? Insane. Can you imagine? This is crazy to me. Sitting alone, surrounded by hundreds, if not thousands of people who are in conflict, standing around you, waiting to shout out their problem that they have with so-and-so who put their tent too close to them, and blah, 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 right? Can you imagine from morning to evening, day after day, people just all around you just pulling on you, and all the moms said, yes. I can imagine, right? But, man, thousands of people surrounded by conflict. Does anybody in this room want that job that Moses has? No. Does anybody agree with Jethro and say, man, that's not good? But hold on a second. You just said his ministry is not good. He's been teaching the word of God. He's been helping them with their conflict. He's, you know, he's, he's moving things along. What's not good about it? He's not making disciples. He is, but not in a way that's going to help the larger body, okay? So we've got two stories. We've got the birth of the church, and we've got the birth of Israel. Both are filled with wonder and power, right? God at work in human history. Both contain stories of overwhelming ministry by those who lead the movement. Too many people, not enough leadership. And as a result, people's feelings get hurt. Conflict is unresolved. Leaders are exhausted and feeling the strain of too many ministry opportunities. Too much work to be done. Temptation to stop their main focus is rising. Does this sound familiar at all to you guys? Does this feel familiar? What, hunt, this, what this reminds me is, of is the church in the West right now. That's what I hate about the church. It's a... Hundreds of people come, stand around one guy who's going to then tell everybody how it, it is. And there's this super elevated expectation. And I, it's not all y'all's fault. It's kind of the pastor's fault. Uh, this expectation that I'm supposed to meet all of your needs. And if you call me at any time, I'm going to answer. If you email me at any time, I answer. You want to stop by my house, I'm just going to open the door and be like, come on in. I'm fighting with my wife, but you might as well be here. <laughs> right? And so we've, what we've done is this mutual relationship, you guys messing it up and me messing it up, have caused this relationship of you're never really getting discipled, your needs are never really being met, I'm not doing a good job, I'm feeling like I'm doing a good job because I'm teaching a bunch of people, and, and look how many butts are sitting in here. But really it's a farce. It is not good. It's not good. And because of this, Barna just released a stat. Since 2022 today, 20,000 pastors have quit their jobs. 38% of the remaining pastors are saying they want to quit. And 50% of current pastors are saying if they had a way to make money another way, they would quit right now. 
half. Now I hear that and it, man, it, it just discourages me. Partly because I go, guys, you fools. What makes you think you could have done this by yourself anyways? And some of them I go, man, if you, if you just need another job to quit, let me let you know, you already quit on your people. That's the reality. So we got a problem in this, okay? And uh, Moses' father-in-law comes in with some wisdom that I think we need to hear. And if you have another pastor friend, they need to hear. And friends, I think you need to hear this. He says, what you're doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you, and you're not able to do it alone. Man, hear compassion in this. You can't do this by yourself. You were never meant to do it. So it's simple and wise words. This is not good. You're going to be worn out. The people are going to be worn out. Something has to change. For ministry leaders who struggle with fear of failure, this is a huge struggle, which is almost every ministry leader I've ever met in my entire life struggles with fear of failure and people-pleasing. Okay? But the reality is they can't do ministry alone. And so it results in all kinds of things. But the apostles can't do it. Moses can't do it. And even Jesus shows us that he never does things alone. He includes others and he passes on the way. So if that's the case, let's look at what we need to focus on. And what we need to focus on, this is point one, is guys, we've got to start to realize our own limitations. And man, you've got to encourage, if you've got some friends who are, maybe they're a pastor or a leader, you've got to say, listen, buddy, you're limited. You can't do this. And so everyone in the room, I want you to listen. I think uh, da uh, Paul David Tripp, uh, he's got a wonderful mustache, wrote a book called Lead, okay? Um, he wrote a book called Lead. I encourage every single one of you to read this book. It's called Lead, 12 Gospel Principles for Church Leadership Teams. Guess what, guys? You're the church. You get to lead. You're the team. And in one of his chapters, he talks about limitations. And I want to read to you four things that I think. Are, I want these to wash over you like a wave. I don't want them to discourage you. I want them to encourage you. You're not the only one who feels these things. So the limits are this. You're limited in gifts. You're limited in time. You're limited in energy. And you're limited in maturity. Limited in gifts. Guys, the Bible, Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 12, that the church is a body. Imagine one human body like my, my body right here. And it's made up of a diverse compilation of parts, which is you. Me, cells, you are the cells of the body. And each one of you have been given specific gifts by God that you are meant to steward and use for the service of the whole body to make us complete. But you know what my Bible teaches me, and it teaches you because it's also your Bible, is that, listen, no one has all the gifts. Did you know that? In fact, it actually shows us exactly the opposite. It says you have hardly any, but what you do have matters. So I know I'm gifted in preaching. I know I'm gifted at that. I like to communicate. I enjoy the gift that God's given me. But you know what I'm really crappy at? And yes, <laughs> Tony said yes. And all those who are around me know really clearly. I love it. I'm bad at administration, all right? If you want to hire me to be a part of your company and you want me to administrate all the details, I will shut your company down. <laughs> I'm not good at that. But here's what I do know as well, is that I know that Sidney Gunn and Jake Williams are so much better at that for me. And so their giftings complement my gifting. 
and I'm a better teacher than both of them. Not because I'm better than them. It's just the gift that God gave me. And it's a gift that God gave them. And together we do more. Do you hear this? It's really simple. You are limited in gifts. There's some things, guys, you're not good at. That's why I don't expect you to come and sit up here and teach. It's not the best place for you. It's also why you should stop expecting me to administrate. It's not the best thing for me. And it's not the best thing for you. Okay, so let's keep going. So we're limited in our gifts. Okay, but also here's the thing you need to know. Okay, this is what's great. So I'm gifted in teaching, but here's the other thing you need to know. I can't teach everything and I can't teach everywhere all at the same time. Do you get that? You may be good at administrating, but you can't administrate here and there and over there and in China. And, you know, you can't do that. So that's the other blessing of the church. In Cody right now, there's some other dudes teaching. Thank God. Thank God. Right? Some of them are bad. Some of them are good. But thank God they're teaching because I can't be over there. They can't be over here. Do you get that? What a, oh, all right. You are limited in gifts. Remember this. Second, you are limited in time. Guys, as much as you wish it, there will never be a 10-day week and a 36-hour day. It's never going to happen. Since the very beginning, God set into the nature of time and space a seven-day cycle of 24-hour days. And then uh, God also created us to be beings of rest. We're meant to sleep. And so sleep scientists, they've even proven what God has established. You need seven to nine hours. Some of you seven. Some of you, like my daughter, 12 uh, hours of sleep. You need it. But that only leaves a certain amount of time for you to get things done. You are limited in time. And you need to respect that. You cannot meet with everyone. Number three, you're limited in, limited in energy. You are not omnipotent, which means all-powerful. You also are not self-sustaining. You don't just sit there and generate energy to exist, all right? Some of you right now, your stomach is telling you something. What is it? I'm hungry. Why? Because if you don't eat, you will what? You will die, you have to eat, you have to drink water, you have to sleep, or you will die. Which reminds you and me, we are not God. He's the only self-existent one, and he needs nothing. You are not God. And lastly, and this may surprise you, you're limited in maturity. Okay? You are limited in maturity. Okay? You don't know everything. You don't, uh, you don't fully understand how this world works. You don't have all the answers. You don't always know how to respond. You are not infinite in patience and peace and love and in wisdom. You are a constant progressive work of God. Okay? <laughs> Dear Lord, sorry. See that right there? Patience getting tested. All right? I, I, clearly, I got to stop going over there. So let's do this. We are all in this room limited in maturity. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. All of us are in this progressive work. We talked about that three weeks ago. Okay? And so you are limited in what you can actually know and what is wise. So you're limited in gifts, limited in time, limited in energy, limited in maturity. And all of this I just shared with you just recommunicates what Jethro said. What is that? You are not able to do this life, this mission with Jesus alone. And the sooner that you guys wrap your mind around this, the better. Because to live 
under, uh, to live otherwise is to believe a lie of oppression and suppression. What do I mean by that? It's oppressive because you, if you live this, in this idea that you're supposed to meet every single need, it's going to be oppressive to you because every night you're going to go to bed knowing that you didn't do it all. And some of you live in like that already. I guarantee you that the 50% of pastors who want to quit is because every night they go to bed feeling like they failed somebody. And they just couldn't do it all. And they kept the weight of the world on their shoulders. It's also suppressive because, listen, if you think that it's all dependent on you, you're going to suppress the work of God moving forward. And you won't do what's going to be point to, which is hand it off to somebody else to carry it from here on out. Let them meet with that person. Let them make that phone call. Let them respond to that email. You're going to suppress the work. And guys, that's the reason why you disciples are overwhelmed, feeling anxious, going to bed feeling like you're not doing all, meeting all the needs, and you're just exhausted, just totally exhausted. So what do we need to do? Here's what we do. Let me give you some practical things that you could do today to help you push forward the mission by respecting your limitations. Number one, this is what you should do. Okay? You should, you should be writing this down, okay? I know I'm young, but I'm not an idiot. I know what I'm talking about. Listen to this. You need to articulate your responsibilities. What do I mean by that? Every one of you, okay, if you've had a job, you were probably given a job description. You need to write down for your life a spiritual discipleship job description. So what are you going to write down on that? Who are the people that I need to disciple, that God has placed in my life? We did that last week. You started it. Okay, it's like I'm being intentional or something. And then you also need to articulate for yourself, what are your spiritual gifts? What are your spiritual gifts? What are you actually good at? What has God to use in you to help push people closer to Jesus? You need to write those down. What are they? Okay, so write down a spiritual job description for yourself. When am I going to meet with these people? Who am I meeting with? What are we going to be reading? What are we going through? What am I actually gifted in? And how can I serve the body of Christ to multiply this ministry? Write for yourself a spiritual job description. I'm looking at you right now. None of you are going to do it. It's great, all right? Enjoy your anxiety. All right, S second thing you need to do. For the, for the six of you that might do this, okay, and I, I'm, not, I'm not mad at you. I'm just like, I feel bad for you because you're going to be like the 50% of pastors who are just going to quit here in about three months. But for those of you who are going to do it, here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you're part of a community team, all right, Ashley, they're not groups anymore, they're teams, all right? Um, if you're a part of a community team, I want you to take that and go articulate it to your group and let them put their hands on it. Say, I don't actually think you're gifted at that. Actually, I think you're really amazing at this. Let them be a part of your life to tug and pull and question and go, hey, why do you feel like you need to meet with 75 people? That's insane. How about we get it down to 40? How do we get it down to 15? But why do these people come before your children? That's not right. These are your first disciples. You see what I'm saying? Let people in. If you don't have a community team because you're not a member here at Apples Community Church, do you have some friends that love Jesus? Grab those people and go, hey, I got this idea. I got these people I'm trying to disciple. I've got this list of things that I, I think I'm, I'm good at and I want to use to help. Would you just sit down with me and just ask questions with me? Help, me? help me out. Can we open the Bible? Let's do it. Does that sound crazy to anybody? It's not that crazy. You can do it. Okay? Yeah. All right, cool. Let's go. We're going to keep going. It's just like, it's painstaking watching. I'm going, guys, like, your life could be so much better. And then here's the thing. Guys, know your limits and know the limits of others. If you do this with your community team, so members, listen to me. If you do this, and I want you to do this, if you actually go through these steps like I'm telling you, and they finally get in there, uh, expect them to hold you accountable. In fact, invite them 
to hold you accountable. Listen, you're Americans. You don't like accountability until absolutely necessary. This is absolutely necessary. We're talking about the mission of God, and you're key to that. You're key to that. So you wandering off in distracted lands thinking that you're supposed to be some seminary professor when you should never go there, you need to let good, wise, loving people in your life say, hey, buddy, that's not a good idea. Let them be a part of your life so that we can all stay focused on the right mission, okay? All right, last thing you need to do, okay, next step is this, share the load. Let's go to point two. So let's go back to the passage, Acts chapter six, three through six, okay? Share the load. Verse 3 of Acts chapter 6 says this, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, uh, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. All right. Two things to note before we move on to Exodus 18 to read basically the same thing. It's first is this. The apostles, number one, they would not dare give up the ministry of teaching the word and dependence on prayer. And nor should they, right? We've already agreed. These gifts... The teaching of the word, that's what was leading to the growth numerically and the growth spiritually of this body of people. And so they're not going to give it up, all right? Now, what they do next is they find other people to meet this need. Now, here's the thing that's really important about this. They don't just grab anyone. What do they do? They go and find men to serve of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. All right. Many people take this to be the foundation of what's considered to be deacons. Anybody ever heard the word deacons in church? We're in a Baptist church. I'm sure this one had deacons at some point. Okay. Um, and so uh, deacons. Well, deacon is or deacon comes from a Greek word diakonio, which means to serve. All right. So it means to serve. So everyone in the church, every member of Jesus' church, is a diakonos, a servant. Okay. We're all expected to serve. But if you go on to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll see that eventually it becomes, there's also a special office of servant. Okay, so this is a special thing. So what we know about this basically is this. These apostles are not just passing the buck. They're not going, ah, these widows are annoying. Give it to the peons. They're giving it to powerful spiritual men of character and integrity. Do you see that? They're not passing the buck. This is a spreading of leadership. This is an opening up the leadership avenues to more people so that we can accomplish more things. Do you see that? Okay. And almost, it's, listen, we're about to read the rest of Exodus 18. It's almost as if they literally had Exodus open. We're reading it and go, let's just do this. So check this out. Exodus 18, verse 19. Now, obey my voice, Jethro says to his son. In law, I will give you advice, and God will be with you. And God be with you, sorry. Shall, uh, you shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Hey, you're going to keep teaching the Word of God. You're going to keep leading them that way. But look, he says, moreover, 
Look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them, let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. Yeah, this is so good. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all the people, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Like, what? I remember my wife, we, we, we've already, like, we've talked about this. I've talked about this extensively. When my wife, she was reading this one time, she goes, Greg, I don't understand how we missed this in the church. She grew up in church. She goes, man, I can't. She texted me this. She's like, what? How did we miss this? And I agree because what we're going to see is so great. So what's Jethro's solution? It's very simple. Share the load. Find faithful men. Give them the opportunity to lead and teach. Let them deal with these conflicts. If it gets really bad, they'll bring it to you. But let them do this. Let them do it. Does that sound profound to anybody? No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't sound profound at all. It should sound unbelievably and sweetly simple. We've got to let other people lead. Now, listen to the thing. Uh, I'm a leader in a church, okay? Uh, I'll let you guess which church that is. And here's what I know. A lot of pastors, a lot of church leaders, a lot of you guys, you struggle to let other people do things because you have what's called control issues, okay? Okay, maybe not you, but me. I've got control issues, okay? You can pray for me. And so what happens when we have control issues is we don't think that somebody's going to do a, as good a job as we would do, so we don't let them do that. Does anybody know what that's like? Okay, I was just talking with Matt. Where did Matt go? I was talking with Matt about this. And he's talking about how in his business that will ruin his business. If he has to be the one always building, he's done a problem. Which means, well, I mean, it's not a, necessarily a problem. It just means his work's going to stop at his limitations. But if you teach somebody else how to build a wall, if you teach somebody else how to lay a foundation, if you teach somebody else how to teach about baptism and handle conflict and uh, show somebody how to read the Word of God, if you do that, what ends up happening? Instead of there being one of you, there's two of you. Now, here's the truth, okay? Uh, I want to ask you guys a question. Let's see if you get it right. Have I ever given some, somebody a task to do in the mission of the church and they screwed it up? What do you think? Listen, I know you're part of the church. Just come on, you can say it. I'm not looking at you specifically. Yes. Have you ever given your children something to do? And you say, hey, you seen me do it. Now you go do it. And then they just completely obliterate your lawnmower. Yes. Have you taught them how to drive? And then they run straight into the cart thing at Walmart. Yes. I've had it happen. Okay. When we give them these things, sometimes they're small, sometimes they're big, and they're dangerous. But the reality is we have to let go of control because every single one of us was there at one point, which means we've got to let them have permission to fail. We've got to have them, let them have permission to succeed. We've got to share the load. We've got to give it to others. And if we don't, we're going to hinder the ministry. But listen to this, all right? We don't just hand it to anybody, all right? We don't give keys to a car to an eight-year-old child. It's not a good idea, right? We don't give a church over to somebody who just got saved. 
Obviously, that's not what I'm saying. But we have to learn to give things over, to share, to invite people in. And I'm going to talk to you about next step is, steps on this in a little bit. But let me talk to you about Outpost. How do we do this at Outpost? Okay? If you've been a part of here for a while, if you're a member of Outpost, please raise your hand. Raise your hand really, really high. Be proud about it. Okay? All right. You're a member of Outpost? Fantastic. Which means every single one of these people are a part of a 10. They're part of a community team. And our community teams have a limit in size, and that's around 10. They have about 10 people. You might go, man, that seems kind of exclusive. Do you guys let anybody in? No, we don't let you in because that's their 10, and we're trying to shepherd and care for those people. And we don't know you yet, but if you want to be a member, we'll put you in a 10. We'd love to. But they're in a 10. Above all the 10s, and there's 16 of these, above these is a person that's called a community group shepherd, a diakonos, a servant. And their job is to shepherd those 10s. They're the leader of the, you just read it in Exodus, 50s. So they lead the 50s. I don't, I'm not one of them. I don't lead those 50s. They do. And above them are our elders. And they lead the, starts with a one, has two zeros after it, hundreds. Okay, now we don't have hundreds here, but we do have over 100 members. And so we have these shepherds who are shepherding these teams who are shepherding these members. You see what's going, you see what's going on? I'm so sorry. I keep scaring everybody. But do you see what's going on? Listen to me. Listen. This is the most important thing that I think the Church of Cody can implement into their lives to save these pastors' lives and to save yours. At Outpost Community Church, look, we're not perfect. We're not great at this. We're not good. But I do think the way that we're going about this is best because I'm pulling it from Scripture. We are handing over leadership to other men and other women to lead these people. And so when there's an issue... Nine times out of ten, they deal with it, they handle it in community, and I never even hear about it. I don't have to. Why would you tell me that you and somebody else got in an argument? Deal with it. Now, if that argument gets to a point where it's just causing more problems, they can't get resolved, their community team leader and their shepherd get involved, and they jump in and they try to solve it. Have I heard yet? No, I'm still not involved. Thank God. And if it gets even worse, so this is Matthew 18, which is Exodus 18, Jesus is saying, then there's a point where sometimes I get involved. The elders get involved, and we're apart, and we try to bring in and bring peace and say, well, this is what God's word would have you say and understand and know and believe. Do you see this? So that we can meet every need. Because listen, every one of you who have ever been a part of a church in here, you guys all, every single one of you have said probably at some point in your life, man, I felt like nobody knew me. I felt like nobody knew who I was. When I left, nobody called me. In fact, you know what I've heard at Outpost? I was trying to leave, and they wouldn't stop calling me. Now, I know that's the reason why people, some people go, man, Outpost is a cult. And they're like, we're not a, we're not a cult. We will let you go. We just want to know what's going on. Are you okay? What's happening? Did you die? What is it? We want to be a part. We want to resolve conflict. We want to deal with our sin. We want to grow in grace. We want to make disciples. And we believe that we do that best when we hand it over to others. It's the reason why Chet has had an opportunity to teach. Tony's had an opportunity to teach. It's the reason why this morning I'm spending time with a group of other guys that we're trying to train up to be shepherds to lead this body of people. And what happens when we do this? Oh, guys, listen to this. Oh, my goodness. Listen. What happens when a church just decides to do this? Number one, they're more likely to keep their pastor for a longer period of time. But... What does Acts say? Acts chapter 6, verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. When they made this decision to hand over leadership to other people, did it dampen the ministry? It multiplied it like crazy in Jerusalem. 
Guys, and, and here in Cody, Wyoming, um, if we want to see ministry multiply, you guys got to figure out how you're going to start training people and handing it over to them and saying, all right, now you go. You do it. You got to do that. Because I can't come live in your neighborhood and reach your neighbors. I got my own neighbors. You got your neighbors. You reach them. That's your mission field. You got your children. Why do I need to parent your kids? You parent them. You love them. You serve them. Right? You got your community team. I've got my own community team. We've got enough problems of our own, right, that we're trying to figure out. We're trying to disciple each other. You disciple your community team. You hear what's going on here? When you do this, it's going to, guys, listen, I'm begging you. I, listen, I've written to other pastors in this town and said, guys, if you just do this, it'd be good for you. They go, oh, you think you're better than us? I go, no, I just know you want to quit. And I know you're giving up something because you know you can't meet that need. I'm going to get that here in a minute, and I'll prove it to you. I don't think we're better, but I think we have a better idea of how to do this. Okay? We still stink at it. But listen, listen. If you do it, Moses doesn't collapse if we hand this over. And so what does happen in Exodus? Okay, so the two questions we've got to ask ourselves. Listen to this. I want you to ask this to yourself. What will happen... If I don't respect my limitations and share the load. Think about that. What will happen if I do not respect my limitations that God has put on me and share the load with others? I guarantee you, a lot of you wouldn't even be in here if I had not done some of that. Guaranteed. And the stories that I heard this past week of what God is doing in people's lives, man, through people who I don't even know them. I don't even know who they are. But God is doing incredible things in their lives because of my friends. I take great pride in that. I'm so proud of my friends and the members of Outpost because so many of them are making disciples. And I have nothing to do with it. It's God and them, and they're at work, and it's awesome. What, so that leads to the second question, which is this. Guys, what won't happen if you do not respect your limitations and hand this ministry to others? What's not going to happen? I was under the leadership of a pastor at one point, and there was a guy, he, he said, Greg, um, he goes, hey, I just don't think you see all the good things that are happening. I don't think you see all the good things that are happening. I said, just tell me the good things that are happening. What, what would you say is the good things happen? And he listed off a good thing. I goes, that's a great thing, but that's not us. That's that ministry over there that doesn't even belong to us. So what are the good things happening here? And then he said, I just think you're too hard on the church. And I said, listen, I, I'm, I'm hard on what you call church. This whole thing where we stand up here and we talk to people, that ain't church. This is a service. This is teaching. The church is something different. And I said this, listen, yeah, look, I'm a cocky, arrogant kid sometimes. I'm working on it. But I said this, and I'd stand behind it right now, and I would repeat it again publicly. I think we would be ashamed if we could see what really could happen. And we would stop bragging about what is currently happening. Friends, if you could see what God could do through you, if you would surrender to the limitations you have, trust in the Lord, make disciples and hand them over the ministry to multiply, you would be astounded by what God could do in Cody. Some of you think it's only at 4 Southwark Road. God doesn't want to just affect here and just Cody you not realize that Cody can change this entire state? If the church would just wake up and realize it ain't all about you and that you can't do it. 
I believe, I, when we came to Plant Apples Community Church, I believe that, I believed, and call me crazy, I just believed that God could do something through this church that would change the churches of the entire state. And some of you go, man, you are arrogant. And I go, no, you're a fool. <laughs> and, and to me, it's not funny, guys. There are people dying and going to a crisis eternity because we have not gotten to share the gospel with them. I read the obituary every week, and I see the people who have died, young and old. They're going to a crisis eternity, and we're limiting what can be done because you guys are waiting for me to do it for you. And these pastors keep preaching that same idea, that it's all about you, and you just come, and you affirm their presence by showing up. You pay just enough money to keep the lights on. We'll keep this deal going. I don't want to have anything to do with the deal. I don't have anything to do with it. Because my brother would be in hell if it wasn't for the people loving him in Pennsylvania. And I'm thankful for them. And there's somebody in this town who's praying for, there's somebody away from the Wyoming praying for a brother in this city, and they're praying that you would show up. It's not some game. Church is not some hobby. Guys, there's better hobbies than showing up here and acting like we're good people. And we're not. We have a good God, and he has given us great things so that we can go and share a great message that their lives might be transformed into something even greater than they could imagine. That's what I want to be about. Anybody want to do that with me? That's what Outpost has been. It's an invitation into seeing God do more by just surrendering more of our hearts to him. Okay? We don't think we're better than CMA. We didn't leave CMA because we think, uh, like, I didn't leave CMA and do this. I left and went to Texas, and then I spent a year, and then I came back because I wanted, with my friends, to be on mission. We didn't leave a bad thing and go, well, they suck, and we're going to do this now. That's not what it was. We go, no, the mission is too big, and this stinks. This stinks. It's a big mission. We, we need more people. We need to multiply this thing. I've heard people look at me. I'm venting right now, but listen to me. I have people go, man, isn't there enough churches in Cody? I go, no. You crazy? Enough churches? What do you even mean by that? Enough churches. Because I was looking at the church and I was watching a lot of people just doing a little bit of this, just navel gazing, staring at themselves, waiting for a pastor just to like anoint them with oil and they'd be good and they'd go to heaven. What garbage. Okay? And I'm just like, man, what would happen if you guys, listen, not me. What if you guys inspired the rest of the church to go, hey, why don't we just turn around and start sharing with people? Stop waiting on these pastors and be about what they've been talking about. What would happen? I've had so many guys come to me and go, man, could we do a worship night downtown, all the churches together? And I was like, yeah, but just don't talk to me about it. You go invite all the churches. Just don't tell any of the pastors. <laughs> just don't tell any of the pastors. Just go invite the church. Get them all together in a park. Just tell me when it's going to be. I'll be there. I'll attend it. I'll worship. I'll be with you. Stop waiting on the pastors. They're the last people you should ask because they're the most prideful in the whole room. Right? Man, go. Do it. Stop waiting for me. Be on mission. Now, if you want me to slap the apple's name on it, you should probably ask me about it. Okay? That's true. All right. So here's what we're going to do. Let's go to the application before Greg loses his total mind. Bro, I got like 20 minutes. Okay. Here's what I want to tell you. The first thing I want some of you to do, even though I'm yelling and I'm going fast, and I don't want you to get, mis I don't want you to get confused. Listen, I do not hate or dislike or even take time to think about that we're better than any of the churches of our town. You need to know that. I don't really care. 
Do I want to see them flourish? Yeah, we pray about it often. He's been a part of it. He's been a part of it. We, we pray for that. They just flourish. You know why we want them to flourish? Because they're taking care of people we can't take care of. They're meeting needs we can't meet. We're like, thank God. The reason why we're doing this kind of thing with the DFS thing is because we were like, hey, what are the churches not doing? Let's be a part of that. If they're doing a great job of something, why should we do it? Right? Zoe Pearson's been a part of this. She's met with a lot of people. We're not doing a prison ministry because we know some people doing a great prison ministry. We just said, how can we pray for you? Why would we do the same thing you're doing? Let's spread out this need. Let's meet. Okay, so first thing we need to do is listen to this. Every one of you, slow down. You need to slow down. It's Christmas season. You're like, Greg, that's impossible. But guys, you need to slow down. Some of you guys are overcommitted to so many things. And I'm not just talking about at the church. Some of you are overcommitted and you're not giving the church what you should. But some of you, are, and you're overcommitted at the church. I get it. But you guys are overcommitted. You live in this Western lie that you have to do everything. Slow down. You don't. Everyone in you in this room probably right now has two or three things you need to let go of. Right now. You just got to. And the mission is dependent on you letting it go. Number two, guys, if we're going to do this, you need to evaluate your discipleship and you need to evaluate your disciples. If you're discipling, which means to, it's just teaching and leading somebody according to God's word for his glory, if you're discipling somebody, you need to ask yourself, is what I'm teaching and what I'm showing them preparing them to do the same thing I do with somebody else? You need to self-evaluate, is what I'm doing leading to that? Because if it's just you sitting at a Bible table and, or at a coffee table, you're talking about Bible, which is so great, man, do that. But it's not leading to them practically leading others. Change something. Slow down, change something. All right? And you need to be able to hand it to them. All right, here's the next thing we need to do. And outpost leaders, help me, because we've got to do better at this. We've got to create space for other people to lead. All right? What does that mean? That means occasionally somebody's going to teach, and it's not going to be great. And you're going to go, well, that sucked. Right? Because you go, no, that guy's getting, that's discipleship. He's sharing. He was learning. He's growing. That's his second rep, not his 300th rep. He's going to be amazing at 300. But, man, we're in this. And at Outpost, you've got to have the permission to fail. Give your disciples permission to fail. You know what I'm really bad at? I'm bad at parenting. Because I don't give my daughter permission to fail sometimes. Anybody like that? Man, I will ride my daughter on something that I want grace on. She'll go, but daddy, you left your shoes in the middle of the room. I go, that's not the point. Put your shoes away. Right? Now, that's a silly example. But in our discipleship, we have to let them fail. We have to let them say something that's not right. Uh, anybody ever seen The Chosen? Man, one of the best scenes in The Chosen is so amazing. Listen, you need to hear this. If you haven't seen The Chosen, go watch it. It's just, just uh, cinematic beauty. All right? I've never wanted to reach through a screen and hug a man so hard in my whole life as the Jesus in The Chosen. All right? And so listen, uh, Jesus is going into the house of uh, the woman by the well. She's going to go to that, uh, her house. And as he's walking to the house with his disciples, uh, her husband or the guy, she's, the guy she's living with who's not her husband, whatever, goes, uh, you know, such and such room is haunted by my dead aunt. And Jesus goes, I'll take that room. Right? And they go up in that room, they sleep in there. So the next, you see the next morning, Jesus is waking up, and he's got John, he's got James, uh, the brothers, sleeping in beds next to him. So they all kind of sit up, and Jesus goes, hey, how did you guys sleep? 
And John and James go, oh, not very well. And he goes, well, why not? And he goes, well, you know, I was scared of the haunted room. And he goes, it's not haunted. And then big James goes, well, then why didn't you correct him? And Jesus says something I think every disciple needs to hear. He goes, listen, I don't correct everything wrong in my disciples all the time. Do you realize that when the disciples walked with Jesus, if he would have corrected everything they said and did wrong, they would have done nothing but sit in correction for three straight years. And then he would have died and we would have no idea what the message was. (laughs) He was constantly giving them grace and forgiveness and permission to fail. Do you understand? Constantly. And one of the people that he was doing that more than anybody was Peter, okay? And I relate to Peter. Do you all know this? I get my foot and I put it in my mouth. I might have done that 10 minutes ago, but we're still going. But here's what's really amazing, okay, is when we do this, okay, when we hand over, we trust the Lord, we respect our limitations, we give people the keys, we let them drive, they run into something, it's okay, we pay for the fender, we go back at it again, and we just keep moving, we do that, and it's going to lead to a massive change of the world. Let me show you a scene. So i got a picture we're going to put up on the screen for you guys. Some of you will be able to see it, so you won't. Okay, can you see what that is? Looks like a big cave, doesn't it? A big hole in the ground. Okay, this is the, one of the most northern parts of Israel, okay? Uh, and this is uh, Caesarea Philippi. So it was, given, it was basically dedicated to, uh, to uh, Philip to Caesar. And so this is Vegas. This is Reno, this place. All right? And what used to be built right in front of here was this massive temple. I'm telling you this for a reason. Listen. There's a big, massive temple, and water would come up out of the ground from that cave, come out through the temple, and pour down. It's just this beautiful-looking scene. And so all these Greeks would be there, these Romans, they'd be there, and they would do these sacrifices, and they would do them to the pan god, which the pan god is the goat, Okay? They would do these things. And so Pan was, you know, think about Pantheon. So it's like the representation of all of the Roman gods, all that is evil. And they would come here and they would worship. This was a place that Jews would never come to. Never. They would not go there. But you know what's amazing? Is Jesus ain't scared of nothing. And so Matthew 16 after running with his disciples, he takes them all the way up to Caesarea Philippi and takes them here. And it's here that Jesus asks them a question. He says, who do you say that I am? Right? And what do they say? You, um, some say the prophet. Some say Elijah. Some say, you know, so-and-so. He said, okay, great. And he looks at them and he goes, but hold on a second. Who do you say that I am? And what does Peter say? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. This right here is what the Romans believed was the gate to Hades. They called this the gate of Hades because out of, this, of the center of the earth, water would pour up and out. And so Jesus in Matthew 16, 18 answers Peter and says, He goes, you are right. And he says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, on this confession that I am God, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. How freaking boss is Jesus? (laughs) He stands in a place where Jews will not stand. He points at the gates of Hades and he goes, 
on the profession that Jesus is Lord, that I am God, this will be destroyed. And years later, an earthquake crumbled that place to the ground and no water flows out of that hole. Jesus basically said, listen, it's equivalent of this, guys. When I said that, hey, you, the church, can do something that changes Wyoming, it would be like Jesus coming to you and go, listen, I'm going to start a little bookstore, okay? It's like Legends. And in about 20 years, we're going to take down Amazon. You and Cody go, bro, this guy is crazy. That's what he's saying here. And that is what Jesus did. Friends. But you know how Jesus did it? He did it by handing it over to sinful men just like you and just like me. Decide today, number one, will you believe what Peter said, that he is your Messiah, he is your king, that he's giving you gifts, and that you're going to use them and steward them to build up his kingdom? And number two, are you going to hand the keys to the next generation? You've got to decide. I've given you so many practical steps to take, and let me recap them really fast for you. Number one, you need to respect your limitations You need to build a job description for your discipleship. What are you good at? What are you not? You need to invite community around you to help you analyze who you're discipling and how you're going to disciple them, the best way to make them ready to take your job. Okay, you're going to do that. And they're going to help me in this culture to continue build a culture of handing off over and over and over. And we're going to send and we're going to plant more churches. It's going to be awesome. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray. And guys, we're going to sing. All right, I'm just going to send you out of here, and you're going to go do it. Or you're going to hang and talk and do discipleship in here. Sound good? All right, Lord, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for the privilege I have to get to teach and shout and scream and get passionate. And thank you, Lord, that um, even though day by day it looked like nothing changed, I look back at my life and nothing's the same. How ridiculous it is that Greg Brooks is passionate about the church. How cool it is that some of my friends in here are passionate about you, Jesus, when a year ago they didn't want to have anything to do with you. How cool it is, Lord, that some people in this room are reading their Bibles when for 15 years they just barely dabbled and now they're reading daily and becoming proficient in your word. How cool is it, Jesus, that this building that was built by a completely different group of people is now occupied by the church once again. How cool is it, Lord, that there is 20 churches in the town teaching the Bible and trying to help people believe and trust in you. How amazing is it, Lord, that there are people in this room that you equipped to be administrators, teachers, leaders, uh, gifted in mercy and service, gifted in so many different ways. Help us, Lord, I pray, to be a body of people who appreciate one another, appreciate the diversity of the room, and that we would take advantage of every single gift. And lastly, I just want to ask you, Lord, you blessed us, But I want to ask in faith, use this body to bring about a transformation of life that leads to a transformation of Wyoming. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys, leave your seats. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week.